Have you ever doubted your career path and your life journey and wondered, is this really what I'm meant to be doing? Only to have that become way down on the priority list because you're so busy making sure that everything else is being taken care of. So when it comes time to think about, well, what else is next? It's too hard, too difficult, and you just don't have the energy. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Lorena Law, who is a functional medicine doctor And in the interview, she shares her personal journey as a doctor navigating a career in the medical field for the past 20 years, but equally sharing her expertise and knowledge and passion in women's health, hormones, and menopause. In the episode, she shares what women need to know about menopause and the symptoms and areas to look at, even if menopause is in the far distant future from where you are. Regardless of how old you are or where you are in your life journey, Lorena shares really great insights into what it is that you need to know to navigate life as a woman. Our health, our careers, they're all inextricably linked. And looking at your body's physiology, your energy, is the starting ground before you can pursue a soul-aligned career and to make choices that are aligned to what drives you and what matters to you. With that being said, let's dive in. Welcome to Your Soul Aligned Career, the podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Barnes. Together, we'll be exploring how you can pursue a career and life that's meaningful and impactful, both to you and to others, and that doesn't require you to hustle and grind 24-7. I'm passionate about you getting clarity on your unique career path and to make empowered decisions on where to and what's next from a place of alignment to who you really are, beyond your corporate persona, title, or societal expectations of what you should do. Join me as we talk about all things career, intuition, soul work, feminine embodiment, womanhood, and leadership. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. And if you want to get clear on your unique gifts and soul leadership, take my free soul archetype quiz over at SiobhanBarnes.com forward slash quiz. All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm really excited for today's episode where I'll be talking to Dr. Lorena Law about her journey as a doctor and also her interest in women's health, menopause, and all the things that many of us don't know when it comes to getting older and looking after our health. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to introduce you to Dr. Lorena Law and tell you a little bit more about her. Dr. Lorena Law graduated from Newcastle University in Australia, and she's been practicing in both Hong Kong and Australia as a general practitioner with training in nutritional medicine, anti-aging, and aesthetic medicine. She completed her diploma in psychological medicine and combines principles of lifestyle medicine in really optimizing metabolic, hormonal, and mental health. So very much a holistic approach to health. In her private practice, she collaborates with health coaches in group-based medical programs to cultivate healthy habits to prevent and treat chronic medical conditions such as obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, menopause, and irritable bowel syndrome. Lorena is very multi-passionate and has many gifts and has also represented Hong Kong in Mai Tai and powerlifting championships and received several professional fitness qualifications. She's a part-time lecturer at Hong Kong University Space in the area of functional medicine for anti-aging and skin health and tutors medical students at Hong Kong University. Live Media awarded her Women of Wellness 2021 and Lifestyle and Wellness Entrepreneur of the Year through her efforts as the co-founder of Ananta Wellbeing, which is an online wellness consultancy. And she co-hosts her podcast there on The Wellness Doctors, and I've very kindly been offered to have a speak on there as well. So a very warm welcome, Lorena. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited today to be interviewed and share my passion. <laughs> awesome. I was so excited to get you on the podcast because, well, many facets, like for everyone listening, I actually have the pleasure of knowing Lorena for many, many years, and we've been friends. And it's been cool to witness her journey as she's been navigating her career. And whenever I talk to you, Lorena, there's always so much that I learn. And I feel like I could spend a whole other afternoon with you diving down the rabbit hole, which is awesome. And I think today, what I'm really excited about sharing with the audience is more about your journey, because I think how you've navigated your career in medicine is really inspiring. And you've always been very clear on what your values are, what matters to you. And I think it's always interesting to hear how other women have navigated their career path. But equally, I think your passion with women's health and wellness, particularly around menopause, is going to be really educational because many of my clients and the women that listen to this podcast, they're thinking about their careers, they're thinking about achieving and they're high achievers and they're at the upper edges of their career. And when their energy depletes or they feel like things are off, sometimes, yes, the career is the challenge, but there's a whole other piece that's going on within our physical biology, which after speaking to you, I realized not many of us know about, and it's really important to have this information. So those are the kind of things that I would love to explore with you today, but perhaps we can kick off with your journey because you've been a doctor for 20 plus years. And I'm curious, how did you end up here in Hong Kong as a functional medical doctor with all these other interests and in fitness and health. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> I actually went into medical training because I was inspired by both my parents because both my parents are medical doctors. They were second generation. So my grandfather was also a medical doctor. So I came from a, I guess, a family business <laughs> of medicine or health. So I've always grown up with textbooks around me that my parents had around different types of conditions and diseases. And even as a child, I was very curious about how can I help people? Mm. And so I went into medical school mm. hoping to learn more about modern medicine and what it can offer in terms of mitigating chronic illness and chronic diseases. Because as a medical student, I was very fortunate to be part of a problem-based style of medical training. Mm. So it wasn't so didactic or lecture-based. It was very hands-on even from the first year. We were in the clinical wards and hospitals seeing patients and basically interacting with other health professionals such as nurses and your specialists and other junior doctors. So we really got to see what it was like in real life um, to practice medicine. So I became very curious because I was seeing all these patients and realizing that a lot of their conditions had a basis in their lifestyle choices. And by the time they actually got to hospital, they were already quite symptomatic and conditions were quite serious. So I was just very curious on learning how do we actually prevent this from happening? Because it's quite obvious that our day-to-day -day choices that we make have an impact in the long term, even though they may not be immediate. And I really searched through medical school to try to understand more about nutrition and physical activity and stress management. And even though we could understand the physiology and also the pathophysiology of it, it wasn't a very clear structured recommendation that was given to doctors. And even after practicing in various areas in hospital medicine, I realized that I was seeing the end of these choices. I was seeing the outcomes of maybe not making the best choices. So I wanted to be in the early stage. So I wanted to really prevent this from happening. So I went into general practice hoping that I would be in the first line to see people while they're presenting early with milder symptoms and hoping that I would be given the opportunity to make those changes. But what I quickly realized was that modern medicine doesn't give us much time. By the time I've actually explained the condition to the patient, I didn't have any time to address the lifestyle factors. And there wasn't really a space to allow things to change or for the doctor to actually help to assess that behavioral change. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of led me to this passion of looking at my own journey and what I was passionate about. And I was doing all I can to stay healthy as well. Mm -hmm. So I got into learning about nutrition science and exercise physiology just on my own, really. It wasn't actually part of medical curriculum. So I only received an hour of nutrition training in my medical school. Wow. <laughs> So I didn't feel prepared at all. When patients asked me about diet or supplements or things like that, I had no training whatsoever. And I felt really ill-equipped to answer those questions. 
So a lot of my learning in the early stages after graduation was really just through my own research and reading and looking at how other industries, particularly the fitness industry, actually, because a lot of athletes really have to perform well. So they have to optimize their training and recovery and their nutrition. So a lot of my understanding started there. And I became very interested, actually, in exercise because I was a very geeky, unfit <laughs> Asian girl. <laughs> very much focused on the science and didn't really pay much attention to any kind of exercise or fitness. And I felt, again, when I was in high school in Australia, sports was a very big part of high school. So I ended up having a friend actually recommend a fitness class to me. And I attended skeptically, but at the end of that hour, I absolutely loved it. It kind of clicked with me. So somehow, fortunately, I just ended up going to those group classes myself. So after many, many years of that, and I continued that even throughout my university training and into sort of the early years of my medical training, I found that physical activity really helped to ground me. Mm. And when I felt stressed and I really got stuck, it was a way for me to let out some of the frustrations and it helped me to think very clearly mentally. So that was kind of like my go-to strategy for managing stress. And so I guess because of lots of practice, I became good at it. <laughs> and eventually one of the instructors actually said to me, hey, maybe you should join this training course that we have for instructors. And again, I was like, well, I don't think I'll be teaching, but I'm curious as to what the process is. So I actually joined the training course and eventually they actually cleared me to <laughs> instruct and gave me a job yeah. while I was actually a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really just I think a lot of opportunity that was given to me I felt very fortunate so I took on the challenge mm -hmm. and again I felt that it was a great learning experience for me because sitting in an office and diagnosing is very different to actually being hands-on and teaching and instructing in a different aspect of health so I really fell in love with that I learned a lot out of that, actually. Mm -hmm. And I think some of those skills that I learned in a group situation and how to manage people in a group setting really helped me to start to think about how I can do this as a medical doctor or a health consultant in group settings as well. So I guess in some ways, I've gone through a lot of different types of experiences that's outside the box mm -hmm. <laughs> of a conventional doctor, because I was really trying to look at the early detection and prevention phase, which to be very honest, if we're looking at modern medicine, conventional medicine, we're not really addressing it. I mean, we have a lot of drugs and a lot of surgical and very advanced treatments when you get ill, but I don't think we have as much of a structured pathway as to how to prevent these things. Mm, yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you reflect on your journey as you're talking. It sounds like medicine growing up, like that was a clear path for you because of your parents' background, the textbooks that were around and you had an interest in it and obviously the mental and scholastic aptitude to be able to do that because that's, you know, high rigor career. But as you're talking, Lorena, I really hear that it sounds like there was this interest in like, okay, I'm helping someone at this stage, but how can we prevent people from getting to this stage where they're in hospitals, they're needing all these drugs, how can I help them early on? And I love how you've been really open to life and said, okay, need fitness, let's try this. Let's, I remember when you were becoming a fitness instructor, actually, that time, and it's like, wow, that's so cool that you're just saying yes to those opportunities. So I'm curious, as you were navigating that journey, when you first started, what were your goals as a freshly trained doctor? How have they changed to now after being in the field for 20 odd years and bringing these passions into your work? When I came out of medicine, I still felt very inexperienced. And actually, I realized that you know, when you're younger, you kind of set goals that your parents and your peers and people around you say you should do this or you should aim for this or this is good for you. I think I listened to those voices because I respected my elders and people with experience. And I did, I guess I would say, tick those boxes. But for me, at the end of that, when I ticked those boxes, I still felt that there was something missing. The whole time that I was going through medical school, I felt that I was not learning what I actually wanted to learn. Mm. Sure, there was a lot of knowledge and it was actually very difficult to keep up with everything that was so advanced. There's new studies always coming out, but I always felt that there was something missing. Mm. And I was always searching and looking because I wanted to know the why of why people do this or why do they make these decisions. And 
I was very naive because I thought, well, if you know that that's good for you, why wouldn't you make the choice to do it? Mm. And so as you go through life, you realize that people go through different journeys and for a lot of people, it's difficult to make those changes. And there's also this society impact and cultural impact and so many other things that you're not really necessarily made aware of come into play. So I guess when you mentioned before my interest in functional medicine, Mm. So functional medicine, probably the audience may not know, but it's actually not a recognized um, specialty in conventional medicine, but it is science-based and it is based on understanding what is the underlying root cause of different conditions and what is the physiology that drives a lot of these conditions. And so even though I had learned normal physiology and abnormal physiology, I couldn't really apply that into prevention. And so functional medicine is the recognized body of scientists and physicians and allied health practitioners who are trying to understand for themselves and also help their patients understand their body as well. And so it's looking at what are the triggers, what are the drivers. Mm. And again, like I mentioned before, there could be cultural issues, there could be relationship issues, there could be choices that people are making that does not immediately cause an outcome or stress in their body. But by having an in-depth discussion around everything around their health and lifestyle, a functional practitioner is able to identify what those main priorities are to take action on. So there's a lot more time available to explore that. It's a very in-depth discussion with a patient beyond just the symptom management. Mm. So I found that I actually had to continue to be curious and be open-minded and to be okay to learn from different experiences and allied health practitioners and complementary practitioners and trying to understand why do people still go to these practitioners and what's the benefit, what are the risks, has there been any research in this area and at what level of research or science do we accept this to be an alternative or possible way of, I guess, addressing the issues? Mm. So, yeah, so I guess that's kind of where I learned to be open. Yeah, and I think that openness that quality in you I've seen. So full disclosure, I've worked with her for my own health and you really have this beautiful ability to be able to not be judgmental because I think, you know, when it comes to lifestyle choices, you mentioned, we might know that we should be doing all these things, right? Exercising, not drinking as much and smoking or whatever it might be. But the practicalities of why we don't do the things that are good for us are so complex. And like you say, there's cultural aspects, there's triggers and traumas and patterns and all, you know, you can go down that whole rabbit hole, but I love what you're doing in that you're looking at the whole picture and the way you work is very much, you take away that judgment and that shame. And it's like, you lay everything on the table and it's, well, where are the knobs that we can dial down or dial up and just really tweak so that you can be more healthy and achieve those goals that you have are saying that you want, sorry. So I think that's really beautiful. And in your journey, I know that you've been following your intuition and you've been following your interests and been really open. And that really leads me to the next question, which is how have you made those decisions? How have you navigated the decision to move to Hong Kong from Australia, to work at different clinics and practices, to say, oh, you know what? I am going to be a fitness instructor and I'm going to take up my time and do powerlifting. And I'm curious how you do it. If there is any advice that you have for others who are navigating transitions and looking to make decisions for themselves. Early on in my career, it was really focused on what other people told me was the right decision. But then over time, I realized actually I also need to understand what it is that I'm passionate about. Mm. Because I think everything that you want to achieve, there's always going to be obstacles. And sometimes we make decisions and can plan ahead, but things don't always work out the way you planned. Actually, most of the time, what I've planned never work out. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, particularly during these times. Yeah, especially these times. So I think it was really just sitting back and evaluating, okay, what have I got to lose Mm. um, if I make this decision? Right. Why would I continue to stay where I am? What are the benefits for the rest of my life? I mean, it sounds like a really drastic frame of time, but would I still want to be doing this for the rest of my life? And obviously, there has definitely been periods of time in my career where I thought, well, I don't think medicine is actually for me, to be very honest. I thought I'm not really right for this job. Maybe I just don't really resonate with this. Perhaps I need to pursue a different career. Mm. Wow. And I think sometimes it's just pausing and realizing that you don't always have to make a decision straight away Mm. and just 
being clear of how I feel. I think it sounds very unscientific, but if my gut says something isn't quite fitting, then I would now listen rather than ignore because I think in the past or the way I was brought up was to be loyal, was to use my brain, to use my left brain, make decisions based on that. (laughs) That was very highly valued. Right. But I think over time, I've realized that even if I had been able to make those decisions, I don't always feel that I really fulfilled myself. Um, There was still something that was yearning inside of me. And I just didn't feel that I was really aligned with the outcome. Mm. So that's why I think I ended up with doing so many different things because I was still searching for what that was for me. Mm. And I think over time, I realized that I had set myself one goal after medicine. I said, if I could just make a difference in one person's life, that would be enough. Mm. And it sounds like a bit of a cop-out because it's like one person. (laughs) 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 You know, what about the rest of your career? Yeah. You know, the thing about that is you may think that as a doctor, let's say you you treated this person and have the blood pressure controlled, the cholesterol controlled, Mm. but I wanted more than that. I actually wanted to say, what if we could get you off these medications? Mm. You know, what if you didn't need these things? What if the choices that you could now make could impact on that and change that? Mm. So then I thought I wouldn't make that kind of impact. And interestingly enough, I actually came across one particular patient that I really remember. He was only 35 years old, but he actually didn't know that he was diabetic. (gasps) Wow. He didn't know. He had no symptoms. He wasn't one of those classic patients where he was tired, was losing weight and had severe acute ketoacidosis. It wasn't anything like that. He was just walking around saying, oh, I'm feeling a little bit tired. And I said, okay, let's do a couple of things and check. He was a bit overweight and otherwise he was fine. And so his blood test came back and he was basically diabetic and he didn't know. And he thought, wow, you know, do I need to go on medication and what can I do? And I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. I said, what have you lost a bit of weight? And he goes, okay, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so then I saw him once, I said that, and then he never came back. So I wondered what happened to him. And, you know, I was always curious. And then one day I actually ran into him at the club that I was teaching at. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and he lost all this weight. I didn't even recognize him. He recognized me and said, hey, how are you? He said, hi, how are you doing? You've lost all this weight. How are things going? I didn't hear back from you. So I don't know what happened. He goes, I'm not diabetic anymore. I've lost all this weight. I joined a fitness class. I really love it. This is now my habit and my routine. Mm. And I was like, wow, this can really happen. So I was very, very inspired actually by this particular patient. Mm. And I thought, okay, maybe my whole training in medicine wasn't really going to waste after all. Yeah. So then I started thinking, okay, how can I actually impact more people this way? Mm. Because he wasn't really sick. But that's the way that diabetes is, is pre-diabetes don't have any symptoms. Mm. So how can I get more people to check themselves and to monitor themselves? And how can I actually help people make those changes? And I felt energized by this. And I started asking myself, how do I want to show up at work every day? And how do I want to live my life? And I started discovering things that I was grateful for. And the first thing I was grateful for was actually I could make a lot of impact in my own family's health. Mm. And I did that with my mom because she was suffering from osteoporosis in her late 40s, even before her menopause. Wow. Because of a vitamin D deficiency that wasn't picked up because it doesn't have any symptoms. And her first symptom was actually two fractures. Mm. So then I realized, hey, actually, this is an area that because I have that background in training in the basic sciences, I could do the research. I know where to look for information. Mm. I realized that even though there was credibility around this information, most doctors weren't really up to date with it. Mm. And so this is very similar to a lot of lifestyle related, chronic disease related issues is that even though we have updated information, doctors often don't feel confident addressing it because they don't have the time. Mm. And so I realized that actually as doctors, we do have to continue our knowledge and training because by the time you graduate from medical school, a lot of the recommendations are probably outdated and new guidelines have come out. There's an average of 15 years before those guidelines are actually incorporated into regular practice. Wow. And, you know, I do see that it's a struggle because doctors are very busy. We see so many patients and have not enough time to address those issues. Mm. And I think it's because the way that things are set up. It's not because the doctors don't want to. It's just that the whole system and the whole culture around modern medicine is set up doesn't actually allow that time. Mm. So I was starting to explore how can I leverage that time? Mm. How can I sort of mitigate some of those redundancies in education? 
And then how can I actually really get my hands involved in helping people make those steps? Mm. So I discovered group visits, group programs, because a lot of the education can be done in a group setting because I find myself otherwise repeating <laughs> the same things to like 10 people, <laughs> like a broken record. Yeah. But if I could actually have those education material already preset or done in a group setting and then have actual behavioral change or coaching activities as part of that program, people don't feel so lonely in their journey and trying to make that change mm. and they can also really learn some of the skills in making those changes yeah because you know knowing doesn't equal doing mm -hmm. we still have to learn skills on how to get there and what those goals are so i was really energized by that and so now the way i make decisions is do i feel energized by this conversation or this project or this idea mm. do i still want to be doing this for the next five years <laughs> maybe not yeah. a lifetime but <laughs> because i don't know what else life is going to throw at me mm. but they're always going to be challenges and those challenges I use as a learning experience what can I do better this time mm. I don't have regrets on any of the decisions I've made sure I could have made it better but there's always wisdom in hindsight right totally yeah so I used to judge myself a lot I used to measure myself a lot that's always the case <laughs> when you're trying to achieve yeah but at the end of the day I forgive myself more I would talk to myself as if I would talk to a friend. And sometimes we don't do that. We're very critical of ourselves. Mm. And I know that I'm much more critical and I'm much more harsh on myself than I would be to a friend. Yeah. Because sometimes plans don't always go as you planned and things change. So mm. it's important to be flexible and to just accept that sometimes there are things that you can't change, but the way that you perceive a challenge or a struggle actually does change the way that your physiology and your body responds to it. Mm. So I also approach my patients in this way and anyone in this way. And when you are there for your patients and when you are really listening to what they're saying, you're much more able to create a safe and open space for them to be who they really are mm -hmm. and to help reframe some of those negative judgments that they have. So I find that 90% of people who come to a GP concentration have some type of stress in their life. And mm. I always say that stress is a part of life. It's neither good or bad because stress can be good. That's you stress. It motivates us. But distress is when your resources are not really enough to meet those requirements. And perhaps we can explore a way where you can take some load off, <laughs> step back a little bit and get something or find a way that you can recover from. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> there's so much in what you shared. Yeah. Oh, thank you for being so open and honest. I mean, there's so many threads, but as you're talking, you are like the embodiment of this growth mindset, which my kids have been learning about at school. This work by Carol Dweck, who's a psychologist at Stanford University. She talks about this growth mindset and this fixed mindset. And even to hear you talk about as you navigate decisions, there is that growth mindset of if I make a mistake, it's okay. There'll be something to learn. And that part where you said you just wanted to help one person, it brings the weight of expectation down and it's like, okay, it's more achievable. And even like you said, the decision, is this something that I'm excited about for the next five years? Doesn't have to be the rest of my life. I can feel my body lightened and I could feel the weight off my shoulders because this decision doesn't have to be big and scary and everything. It can be a little bit lighter. And I really appreciate you being honest and sharing that there were times that you doubted yourself in medicine. And I think this is really important to drill home because hearing you talk and hearing your story, it sounds like, and it always does, right? When you relay a story, nobody knows the nitty gritty, but it sounds so cohesive. It's like you always knew and there was always that passion there. And for many people, they think, oh, well, I don't know what mine is. Like some are really in careers that were never theirs to begin with. It was something, like you said, parents had advised or said, yeah, you should do this. So I think it's really important to hear that even if you're passionate or you are good at what you do, it's healthy and natural to question, is this what I want? And I guess for you in those moments, like you said, you don't have to make a decision at that time. What do you think helped you specifically when you were asking that question and you found that there was something missing? Because I think that's the piece that a lot of the audience are really, they're in that at the moment. Actually, I definitely didn't go through that journey on my own. Mm. I actually started to recognize that maybe my mindset, I needed to develop skills to learn how to make those decisions. And I actually reached out to a therapist at the time who was able to help me with many different aspects of my own thinking, my relationships, my decisions and how I was making decisions mm. so it was very interesting experience because often people go oh I don't need to come and see anyone I don't need to talk to anyone yeah. 
<laughs> you know, it's kind of shameful and embarrassing. Why would I need to do that? But actually, I didn't have depression or, you know, I didn't have any of those things. Mm. I didn't feel that my life was fulfilling. Mm. And so I thought, well, what's wrong with going to a third party who's trained, obviously, to help me navigate this process? Mm. And so I had mentors, I was fortunate to meet other doctors who were also practicing differently. And I felt supported when I was going to different courses and meeting different doctors mm. and asking them what actually inspired you to go on this pathway. And they had so many stories that I resonated with as well. And so I didn't feel alone. And I think that was the first supportive experience I had because I knew that I wasn't alone on this journey. I wasn't the only one who thought about quitting medicine <laughs> and finding something else. Yeah. And everyone had their own different journey to it. In some ways, it was very frightening as well because there wasn't a fixed path of, okay, this is how we become a nutritional medicine doctor or this is how we become functional medicine trained or, you know, there wasn't any specific path. Mm. And actually from these mentors and these doctors, what I learned was follow your passion, do what you want to do first, learn the information that you really are curious about first, because that's going to get the momentum going because this is a journey. Yeah. And when they said that, I thought, wow. That's great. There's actually no rush. I don't need to like tick a box, uh -huh. <laughs> but I could just learn because I wanted to learn. Mm. So let's start with that first. And I think learning from that experience rather than, okay, I have to learn this to pass an exam, to jump through these hoops. Mm. But I was learning because I really wanted to know. Yeah. I think that was my first experience in just learning for myself, my own health, my own curiosity, mm. not to help anyone, but just to really open my mind to a different way of looking at things. Mm. And then I realized, wow, this is really difficult. I don't know how to navigate. Where do I start? Mm. And so I had a group of other doctors who was in this area and they were really helpful. They pointed me to the right direction and resources. And a lot of the learning was still very self-directed. And that was on the professional side. But I think on just life in general, I definitely was questioning who I am as a wife, as a partner, as a daughter, <laughs> as a mentor even, yeah. because people were coming to me also for advice. Should I do medicine? Should I be a doctor? <laughs> mm. So I was starting to find that actually I had a lot of different roles. And of course, as a fitness instructor, you know, <laughs> so what's that identity? Why am I doing that? Yeah. It's about self-reflection mm. and understanding more about myself, mm. like asking who am I and why am I here? Why do I have these gifts? What are the things that I don't like about myself? Mm. And, you know, no one's perfect. And it's just recognizing, oh, actually, I'm very impatient. <laughs> you may not realize. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm one of those people who's actually very impatient. <laughs> I want to know everything now. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> I want to have this done now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had to teach myself actually to pause. Mm. Um, and so actually one of my sessions, my therapist actually said, hey, why don't you just take a moment? It's like, what do you mean take a moment? <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> what do you mean by that? So she taught me a few different breathing exercises which at the time, you know, you kind of think, oh, this sounds so kindergarten, you know, why am I doing this? It sounds so uncomfortable. Yeah. Because we're in a society where you always have to be doing something. You always have to be attending something, achieving something. Mm. But in the end, I realized that there's actually value in just being, not needing to think about the future, worry about the future or regret the past, but just being in the moment. Mm. And that actually really brought down a lot of overthinking, a lot of stress. And I started to be more mindful about that. So whenever I feel rushed or impatient, I was able to recognize that. So I developed that self-awareness, which I didn't have before. And connecting with other women as well, actually realizing that other women were going through the same type of thinking. And that's when I really started to appreciate my mom because I thought about her being a medical doctor at that age in the era where there's not a lot of female doctors around. Yeah. And how did she navigate that? And what was her challenge and what was her commitment? And then I really started to appreciate her as actually not just my mom, but as a human being. <laughs> mm. So I really have to say that I think a lot of the things that she taught me growing up, it's only when I became an adult that I appreciated. Yeah. So I think looking beyond yourself, recognizing that you don't have to do all this by yourself, that there are people in your life who have earned your trust, yeah. um, who've been there regardless of where you are, and they've just been there for you. Mm. 
I think reaching out to those people and recognizing who those people are. I'm just so grateful to have those mentors and people around. Oh, I so appreciate you sharing. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's so true. And really what's at the heart of it, right? To seek out a therapist or to ask a mentor for advice or, you know, to do this work, it really requires vulnerability, which is quite hard. And also the other piece of it is that self-compassion that you brought in, right? Like not being so hard on yourself, letting yourself just be. And I think this is some of the stuff that I talk about when I talk about the perfect woman imperative, who's just getting us to be more, do more, (laughs) have more, keep going. And like this constant chase. And so I love that you're sharing your journey, but also talking about the vulnerability and the willingness to go there. Cause I think that's, what's really hard. Many of us don't realize that we have options and there is help there, but we just are so fixated in that mindset of, I got to do it all by myself that we miss out on that opportunity. And that connection is so valuable, right? Like in that vulnerability, you reached out to other women and you realize Mm. they're going through that. And I think, gosh, it just makes the journey so much sweeter when you can be real and honest and be in the mess with someone else and not have to be perfect. So I appreciate you sharing that. And so you mentioned your mentors said, follow your passions. Yeah. And this is really interesting because it sounds like to me, medicine in its traditional form wasn't working for you short consultations, just diagnosing the symptom, not getting to the root cause. And you're like, how can we approach this? And you found those mentors who had kind of paved the way a little bit, but this path is not clear because it's still being built. And you're part of those pioneers who are building this, but you've landed on menopause as an interesting topic that you're really passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if we could switch gears to talk a little bit about this, because as I mentioned in the start, a lot of the clients I work with, they are perimenopause and they're in high performance jobs. They're frustrated because for them, they're asking the question, is this what I want to do? But they're also dealing with lower energy levels and they're quite disconnected from their bodies. So could you tell us a little bit more about physically for women, what happens for us pre-menopause and what is the stuff that we should really know that's not commonly out there? Yeah. So I kind of came into this area, I guess, for many different reasons. I've always been curious about women's hormones and how that impacts on their mood and their physical aspects. So when you're having cycles, you can have cyclical symptoms of fatigue and low mood and sleep disruptions and increasing appetite and fluid retention and Mm. period cramps. (laughs) You know, all those things that actually I remember was just symptom treatment. You know, you take a Panadol or you take some anti-inflammatories and you just deal with it. You just get over it and you just try to perform the way that every other person performs consistently and that's always been a struggle because my personal history is I did have a hormonal related condition very early on in my 20s which was not really diagnosed it's a condition called endometriosis so often for a lot of women there's a lot of period pain a lot of irregularities a lot of fatigue a lot of headaches that go along with this condition and plus also a lot of health consequences such as bowel problems and infertility And there's a delay of diagnosis of seven years on average for this condition. Wow. Yeah. So I ended up actually in hospital and I was treated and I recovered. But my question was, it was not a condition that people knew how to prevent. And there was not a lot of information around how do I live with this? How do I mitigate it recurring? How do I mitigate the consequences of this? Mm. There wasn't really a lot of advice around it. So I actually started really researching a lot in this area. And I found from a lot of the times is that our digestive health actually had a lot of impact on how our hormones actually interact with our body. And it wasn't really until recent science and research that has confirmed this. So, and I got microbiome has a lot of impact on how hormones are regulated and how our metabolism is regulated. So the food that we eat, the choices that we make and the nutrients that we intake, we have to be very mindful of. So I managed to improve my diet personalized to myself because I realized that there were certain foods that I wasn't tolerating very well. So that was triggering things like migraines and premenstrual syndromes around my cycles. And actually, as a result of that, I was able to prevent the recurrence of endometriosis for many years. And I would say I'm in remission. (laughs) I don't have any symptoms of that. But one of the things I realized in that journey is that our hormones are actually a kind of tool. It's a barometer of how well we are. Because we have these cycles, I think women can be much more tuned in and what their bodies actually want to do. So this whole idea that we always have to be consistent doesn't always actually work for women. We do have to recognize that our physiology in some times of the month will require us to eat more food. 
that we may not be as motivated because our bodies are trying to actually create a pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's trying to actually line the uterus and that's very energy intensive and something that we don't recognize. And so we try to use that energy for something else. So what I then realized is that going into my 40s is that also there's a hormone fluctuation. What happens is that women in their 40s start to have estrogen fluctuations. So you're not actually menopause yet because the definition of menopause is not having your periods for 12 months consecutively. And so that's the period of time. And the average age for women is 51. But in some women, it can be at the age of 55. So every woman is different. And this is something that often is not spoken about. Every woman's experience is unique. So there's no one diagnosis. There's no one symptom. There's actually over 34 different symptoms that women can experience. Wow. <laughs> okay. So it could be anything from fatigue, headaches, bladder infections, vaginal issues, low libido, hair loss, weight gain, all these different things. So actually, one of the things that I do as part of my assessment is to go through those questions and ask about the impact and severity. Mm. So understanding that it's important. And also, when you start going into your 40s, you still have cycles. But the cycles may change. So sometimes they get a bit shorter, longer, and the actual bleeding time may fluctuate. So it could be shorter again, or it could be a lighter period, or some women experience heavy periods. And so that would signify a change in hormones as well. There's another situation where women can go through early menopause, so that's under the age of 45. If you're under age 45 and you haven't had your periods for 12 months, that really should be properly investigated. It may or may not be early menopause, but you need to go and see your doctor to have that assessed. But if you still have the cycles, then that's what we call perimenopause. So you have those menopause symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, maybe unusual pains, but you're still cycling. So that's perimenopause period. And that period of time can actually, on average, last seven years. Wow. It's a long time to be dealing with all of these yeah, uncertainty and unknowns. Yeah. So that can be a very long time. And a lot of women suffer consequences of that because if you're not sleeping well, you're not going to think well, you're going to feel your performance actually falls, but there are options. And one of the things is that that's also a very key period in time to really focus on your health mm. because after the menopause, our risk of osteoporosis, heart disease, and dementia actually increases significantly. Mm. But there are a lot of lifestyle strategies can actually help to prevent that. So exercising, eating well, knowing what types of exercise, knowing what to eat. All these things are actually really important. And we do have that precious window where we can start putting in place those different strategies. So it's important for women to be able to do that. And I think also in the work environment, it's also about creating a safe space for people to be open to talk about this and discuss this. Because often there's a lot of negative connotation. Oh, you're going through menopause and so you're going to be like difficult to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, if we support those women and we make it a non-judgmental conversation and say, look, this is a normal transition. It's part of life. We are living longer. We should be grateful about that. Mm. You know, if we are living longer and we have all these women with so much knowledge and experience, how can we actually keep them healthier? How can we mitigate these risks as they live to 80s, 90s even? Hmm. So if 55 is when you get menopause, you still have at least another, hopefully another 30 fulfilling years. So how can we help these women? And I think that's kind of where I'm looking into this space because of my own mother's experience. And I think also because I understand what is required to really stay on top of things with nutrition and functional medicine. And if your brain doesn't work, then you really lose confidence in yourself. Mm. But there are definitely different strategies. And every woman has a personal history of different risks. So it's important to be able to understand what your own health risks are yeah. and what your current symptoms are and to be able to address different types of hormone therapies or non-hormone therapies or lifestyle strategies because all these things actually is like a domino effect if you start to do one thing that's achievable that's easy to do you know it doesn't have to be okay yeah i've got to be perfect in all these things it's not about that mm. it's actually about saying okay what can i do now what do i want to do what can i fit in you know a small step yeah small baby step <laughs> it's not about lowering expectations but it's saying look i have this amount of time and this amount of energy what can i actually do and it's positive psychology. If you're successful in doing something small, mm. I think that actually helps to not judge ourselves and helps us succeed. And we celebrate that as well. Then we're more motivated to try something else and look at what's next. Absolutely. There's so much to unpack in this. But at the end of the day, 
you matter us as individuals as women it's important to prioritize our health and i know there's lots of cheesy memes about self-care and that kind of thing but normally women can be givers nurturers caretakers such as yourself you're literally in such a nurturing profession as a doctor and it's remembering that we've also got to look after ourselves otherwise there is no energy to do anything else and there is no energy to make sure you're having a fulfilling life and what i've found is that once something is off quickly you can go into that downward spiral and to find that momentum to pick yourself back up can be really hard and so as i'm hearing you talk marina it's really like let's not get to that stage you're all about prevention it's let's get educated let's get empowered and what can we do that fits in your lifestyle right now which is perfect so i guess my question for you is for the women who are busy doing a lot of things what are the key things that they need to know to become more empowered more knowledgeable so that they can really say this is a priority for me i am going to start looking at this i think the first thing is understanding your moods and your own cycles and your own symptoms mm. there's many apps these days that you can actually track your cycles and you can actually have a diary of how you're feeling mm. and that's actually very helpful because we're so busy in the moment that we often forget but just even writing down how you're feeling journaling you actually discover a lot about yourself and doesn't have to be long. Yeah. You can just say, okay, I'm just going to write one sentence today of how I feel. <laughs> mm. Without any judgment, just how I feel. I'm just going to write it down or I'm just going to take a moment and say, okay, how am I feeling right now? Just checking in with yourself. And if you don't want to go there, you can just go, okay, I'm going to take 5 minutes and I'm just going to do 10 deep breaths really slowly. I'm just going to take my time to do that. I think that's important to give ourselves some space even though we're busy, even that 2 minutes. Five minutes can really be very, very helpful in taking a step back. So I think just starting with that and starting to track—that's very useful. That's the first thing that I would be asking、mm. because your cycles are really information. Yeah, we're very gifted. Actually, I see our cycles as a gift <laughs> because we do have a way of tracking how regular they are, how long they last. Is it painful? Do you get symptoms? And if you do, then maybe you need to reassess and talk to someone about that,、mm. because menopause is not an area that belongs to any particular specialty. Some people think, oh, you need to see an endocrinologist or a gynecologist, but actually, all areas of general practice or any other doctor probably would have a perspective or a view in their own space.、Mm. And I think that's where women are lost. And so, one of the things I wanted to actually put together is a program for people to come and learn more about the science behind it. Yeah, because really there hasn't been a lot of research. Women have been left out of a lot of research because we're difficult to study.、Yeah. <laughs> because the hormone fluctuations do make a difference in the outcome of how we respond metabolically、uh, to drugs. <laughs> yeah, so we are understudied, even though we take up half the population.、Mm-hmm. And so, looking for people who actually have an interest in particularly women's health,、yeah. and also appreciating that there are individual differences and there's no one size fits all.、Mm-hmm. I think it's important to recognize that you're not the same as everybody else. It's not a cookie cutter approach, and at the same time, if you want something that's targeted, personal, to track it,、mm-hmm. and it's actually okay to not be in a good place. Yeah, you know, there's nothing shameful or wrong about that. But recognizing that you're not in a good place, it's probably the first step to reaching out and saying, okay, where can I get help from? Yeah, where can I get the support? And you start talking and sharing with people that you trust. You probably find that many women are going through the same stage as well. And I reassure a lot of women who come and say. You know, I feel like I'm the only person going through this.、Mm. You know what? You're not. A lot of women do, and it's okay. It is basically part of life. But we can work out how things might have to change a little bit, and how you might want to prioritize things, and just recognize that it's okay to be like that. <laughs> yeah. And what I love about what you're doing is that you have this understanding and this awareness because this is what you're seeing your clients about, right? They come to you with different challenges, and as individual women living in our siloed lives with our families or at work, we don't realize that we're all having a very similar experience. And so I know for me, when we were talking about my health. Menopause wasn't even on my radar, and I'm coming up to the 40 mark soon. And I would have thought that that's an issue for me way later. Although I didn't know what way later was, I didn't actually know 51 was the average. And these conversations are not being talked about. This is not something that you would pick up in a magazine and have an in-depth understanding of. There's no groups like in pregnancy. That was the first time I actually paid attention to my pelvis, my hips, this whole area, and what it means to be a woman. 
And this next piece I feel is not established. It's an emerging area. So I'm really grateful that you're being kind of an ambassador for this to say, hey, you don't have to wait until your 50s to be thinking about this. Like you say, there's a window way before where you can be doing a lot of things. Like in your mother's case, what would have happened if she did take those vitamin D supplements earlier? Would she have had to go through the fractures and the osteoporosis? So I'm very grateful that you're putting this out there. And I know that you've got an upcoming workshop and a program coming up on on menopause. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and where people can find out more and sign up? Because Lorena runs online classes and programs. So I'd love for you to share a bit more. Yeah, so I developed this program because of these questions that I was asked a lot from women. And also because in terms of one-on-one consultations, I don't really have the opportunity to educate people or to even coach people in a relaxed manner because it's quite overwhelming for a lot of women who come through this space. And it's the first time that they've ever realized that they're going through the perimenopause um, and close to menopause. Mm. So it's quite scary. And often the information is quite siloed and separated. Mm. So I put this program together because it allows a structured approach. Mm. Over six weeks, we cover different topics around what is menopause, what are the hormones, understanding what they are, how is the diagnosis approached by doctors, what are the nutrition, lifestyle, workout strategies that are important, what's the science behind managing stress, and how do you address your own stress. So it's an online program, an hour a week. And I've partnered with a health coach because I think it's very important that there is that interaction in between the webinars to support women who are trying to make these changes or trying to understand more about the science and the management of this phase. So we will be doing some introductions of what the program actually involves and give people a little bit of information around the new science behind the training and nutrition for women. So there's an introductory webinar that we will be hosting towards the end of March. And hopefully, if we get enough interest in the group, that we would be able to launch that in April sometime. So we're looking for up to 20 women to participate in this program to learn more about that. So whether you're someone who works in HR or you're someone who just wants to understand for themselves, I think this is very good for women to attend. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, I'm all in. I want to learn more. And it's something for myself, but equally with my clients. But if I can better manage myself and understand, that's going to have a ripple effect on all areas of life. And to your point about working with practitioners who have an interest in women's health, you are absolutely absolutely that woman and that person. So I could not recommend Lorena's work anymore. She is the real deal. And I've seen the benefits of working with her myself. So if people want to find out more about the workshop and keep up to date with when they are, like when the introductory webinars are, how can they come and find you? You can actually follow me on my Instagram. It's doc, D-O-C underscore Lorena. And you can also follow me on my Facebook page, Dr. Lorena. I will be posting when those events occur and how to sign up for them. So look forward to that. Perfect. And I'll include the links in the show notes, which you can come on over to the website, siobhanbarnes.com forward slash 22 to get all of those links. And I'll send you along to see all of Lorena's beautiful work. So we're at time, Lorena. Thank you so much for sharing today. It's been such a treat to hear about your journey as a doctor, but equally learn more about menopause and why it's so important to get empowered and knowledgeable in this area. And I really thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. so much for listening in to your soul aligned career the podcast you can download more episodes and subscribe over on itunes and if you've loved listening in please come on over and leave a review before you go i want you to remember this you are here for a reason there is no one in the world like you who can do what you do the way you do it you have a unique soul and a unique soul archetype that you're here to express in the world. If you want to find out what yours is so that you can build on your strengths, be more of who you really are and do more of what you're here to do, come and take the free assessment over at siobhanbarnes.com forward slash quiz.